Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. I am Allison Kay. And hey, thank you so much for giving us the gift of your time. And we hope we're going to share some new and interesting information with you because we have the author of We Are All Stakeholders, which happened to have been named by Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the top books to read for entrepreneurs who want to break the mold. And that is, of course, what we're all about here at Disruptive CEO Nation. She is a governance expert, an ESG expert, and has so much wonderful information. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you uh, Shireen Mohidin, who's going to tell us about her business. She's the founder of Corsten Smith Asset Management, but we're going to get into this topic of governance. So Shireen, welcome to the program. Hi, Alison. Good morning or good evening to you. Um, thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to meet you in person. It's wonderful to meet you. And, and you're, we're speaking to you. You're in Kuala Lumpur and I'm outside of Chicago. Um, give our listeners just a little bit of background. You have such a wealth of expertise that you could be sharing, but but help everybody understand you know, who you are. And then we're going to talk about the motivation behind this book, We Are All Stakeholders. Um, I'm a fund manager based in Kuala Lumpur, managing the region of now ASEAN for the last uh, 18 years, just ASEAN. Before that was emerging Asia. I used to work for AIG Investment Corporation. And then I set up my company in 2004 because I wanted it to be focused on responsible investing. I wanted the focus to be where we talk to companies and engage with companies to make them more aware how they can be more sustainable with a broad focus on governance throughout all their businesses and their business decisions. So we became investors and then we would talk to them and guide them what was best practice, how they could do better. So we were almost like on-site because um, we'd seen you know, so many cases similar, maybe different countries, and we would just share our experiences of what they could perhaps do better to attract capital, to perform better. So that was the starting point in 2004. Well, hey, I, like I said, you are a, a world-renowned speaker. You have spoken at many places. You have even held the title of the first female chair of the Malaysian Stock Exchange. But let's start off with the, the book, We Are All Stakeholders, because as we talk about on Disruptive CEO Nation, things like governance matter, transparency and how you conduct business, it, it, it matters. And it matters for your customers and clients that are buying from you. And it matters for people in, investing in you or being business partners, or even if you ever want to sell the business. Um, yeah. So tell us what are some of the primary um, principles that you share and we are all stakeholders. The, the whole ethos of the book is really that it's not that difficult. I think, I think that's what I'm trying to share to people, because when many people look at issues of governance or they look at issues now of e environment, social and governance, they're always worried about increased costs. They're always worried because the, the narrative out there is you need to go to 
consultants. You need consultants to come in and tell you how to do things according to E, S, and G. And the first thing an owner of a company is going to say, or a board is going to say, they're going to say, how much is it going to cost me? And, <laughs> and when people start throwing all these acronyms at businesses, they don't have the time. Um, so, so that's what drove me to write the book. And the book talks about my, my views on diversity, which was very early on. Um, you know, we were the first in the region to come out with a research project, why women were important on corporate boards. One of my favorite why, topics, Shireen, one of my favorite topics. <gasps> you know, why we need that diverse thinking. Why, why group think destroys businesses. So in the book, it, it gives a lot of my stories um, of what I've experienced, whether it was in the environmental story, whether it was in the social story or in the governance story. I then started writing columns in 2007 and I had a huge, it was very rewarding for me that people actually enjoyed reading my column. It wasn't a name and shame. It was educational about what some companies were doing. There were huge red flags because I was trying to encourage other people, don't do this. You can get ahead, you can make money. If you can adopt the practice that you're gonna do it in a transparent manner, you will survive the long cycles. And in the book, I talk a lot about the smartphone. When I started, of course, there was no smartphone. So everything from whistleblowing to disclosure, you know, Alison, you mentioned just now about wanting to do the right thing for your customers. We all know now, if you go to a restaurant and something's awful with your food. Somebody's going to take a picture. They're going to upload it in, you know, five seconds. And then everybody's going to know this restaurant's, you know, doesn't prop, uh, practice proper hygiene. But the smartphone has changed life forever. And businesses have to be aware of that. So when it comes to child labor, abuse of labor, all these issues that people try to, you know, put under the carpet is now coming up front. And you can address it. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that you need to do things which are going to cost you a lot of money. I, I'm very against these thick reports that companies, especially public listed companies, have to come up with, you know, enormous reports, which cost masses amount of money, distracts the entire finance team, distracts, you know, some companies even have to create huge teams just to deal with the reporting. You know, you lose sight of what you need to do. So this is what the book is about. It's a very simple, um, you know, the, the editors were very good because if I got to a point where I was getting too technical, they said, you know, Shreen, don't be too technical. Bring it back. This is to, to widen the reach so that people can easily understand what they need to do. So that's what the book was about. It was COVID. I couldn't stand doing nothing. You know, we had very fierce lockups here. We couldn't even go out of our houses. So the way that I coped with it was to write a book so let's, let's talk about um let's talk about esg because i i do think that both from an investing side but also in in researching a company and i think that it's easier today to have as as you were saying transparency and insight into companies and and your own employees will will i'm going to say rat on you if if you're not doing things correctly but what are some advices that you would give to to company founders on things that should at least be on their thought list, their checklist when it comes 
to setting up a a culture that cares about ESG? The first point will have to be its tone from the top. The, the founders must take the view that they want to be around for a long time. That's the first bit of advice. Most companies don't last more than nine years. I mean, it, it's incredible, but most companies don't. They get bought, they get uh, merged. And the other thing is, is as a founder, if you have outside capital, my guidance to you is the culture of money. You know, when investors come in, not all investors are the same. They come in with their own views about a company. And if your ethos for your company and your vision for your company is not strong, the investor's ethos will take over. And that's what I certainly don't like to see. I like to see companies who have their own culture, their own beliefs, but it has to be strong enough that it can last. This is one of the, the weaknesses is that people start a certain way, then they get some money from one investor. They, they then start leaning to that investor. Then another bit of large money comes in and then they go that way. So you've got to stay very strong to your core beliefs. And what is the most important thing about ESG is sustainability. You want to be around. So then let's break it up into governance first. Governance is just transparency of processes. As long as you have all your processes transparent, how you conduct your business, how you are doing business, how you're dealing with your customers, then you move to the next bit where you start to almost uh, narrow it down. Nowadays, the technology is so fierce that they will have traceability of your product end to end. They will know exactly where your product comes from, right down to how you sell it, depending what industry you're in. And traceability of your product can make you and destroy you because of all the issues surrounding child labor, abuse of migrant labor, things like that, which are very prevalent in many parts of the world. No, absolutely. And we've we talked to... about traceability of product on this podcast before and how blockchain is and other um, technology is really making it, um, I was going to say, not only easy, but mandatory in certain industries. Yes, absolutely, Alison, because now, you know, you have a trade war, geopolitical issues. So you can't source your product from certain parts of the world, be it company uh, countries which have sanctions, countries that are not to be, you know, who are on the naughty list, if you could say that. So you need to know exactly where it's coming from. You also need to know the input of labor in that supply chain. The supply chain is becoming more and more detailed because of traceability. You know, you have eye in the sky that is watching where these containers are coming from. Containers can come from the naughty list country, end up in your country, and you then you parcel it off to a receiving country and the border patrol knows, and then they seize it. They seize products that come from companies that have you know, poor labor standards, where they abuse the labor. So all of these things are issues that you as a board, as a founder mm -hmm. need to start putting in place. And it's not difficult, it's little steps. Then you have the E side, which 
is quite simple how to calculate scope one and scope two. Those are the first two that you should be dealing with. Scope three is a little bit more calculative, but scope one, scope two, if you could start focusing on scope one, scope two, which is not hard, I would suggest that would be your first step. So these are some of the things that are in my book. Um, I don't detail out actually how to calculate scope one, scope two, but I could, you know, certainly send it to your listeners if you want. It's, it's not difficult. And well, thank you. This is, yeah. why, this is why I'm moving away from saying go to a consultant. And then you have your plans. Have, have small steps of how you're going to address this. Don't have these mega plans, big reports, waste of time, waste of money. And investors will come in and say, why haven't you done page 45, third paragraph? And you'll be like, oh, my God, what's that? And that's what happens. So don't do that. Just just do the simple, this is what I'm going to achieve. I'm going to reduce my carbon footprint. I'm going to ensure full transparency on traceability of my product. I am going to ensure that my uh, labor is you know, properly employed, no, no abusive labor, no child labor. Nobody in my supply chain is going to do this. And for governance, ensure that all your accounting standards are met. You don't you know, muddle with the books, you don't want to be, un, you know, with the IRS in trouble, all those type of issues are basic issues. And if you have a culture of that, your team will know you're going to be around for a long time. Hey, let's go back to um, board and your board competition and, and what you as an investor like to see and look for in a board. And and you mentioned earlier um, about, you know, this, this piece of women on boards. Um, can you expand that just a little bit? So, Alison, as I was mentioning earlier, one of the things that I noticed in the early 2000s is that regardless of the country I went to, there were so few women on boards. And didn't matter, you know, when I was doing my company visits, didn't matter which board I spoke to, I said, why don't you have any women? Oh, they're none qualified, none available. Then after doing the research piece, and I could clearly see using six financial variables, what exactly, you know, which companies were doing better. Again, I don't know if the board was already forward thinking that they knew they needed diverse views. So that's why they had women. I, I don't know that. But I do know that women, diverse boards, help companies perform better. So when I, when I started to go to these companies and speak to them, and they would say to me there were no women knew that we needed to do something. So this started the, the ball rolling about the research. When I go to boards today, the key issue I'm looking for is skill set. And if you look at the, you know, I always look at the CV of the board members or the bio. And mm -hmm. if you see they all went to the same school, they're all from the same sort of area, you know, you know, it's going to be, oh, it's okay. Let's do it this way. It's not going to, the, the discussions at the board are not going to be robust. And I believe that boards is, you know, it is the highest level of decision-making for a company. You need to have robust discussions. You can't hide. I'm not asking you to be argumentative. I'm not asking you to argue, but you must say your piece. You know, unfortunately in many cultures, nobody says anything much in the board. And then behind, when you leave the boardroom, that's when they start complaining. Oh, yes. Back channeling kills boards, it kills leadership, and it kills culture of companies. Um, yeah, it, you can't do that. But, you know, it's so prevalent. So there are certain skills that I like to see on a board, depending on the industry. 
one that is, I think, important today is somebody with HR experience, human resource experience. The reason why I say that is that because we are going through changes, big mm -hmm. changes in every industry, and people have to be skilled, reskilled. Because, you know, you've moved from brick and mortar, going into the net. Now some people are, although the internet will always be there, I do feel that there are some companies that are actually pivoting away from it. There are some companies realizing that actually we need that interaction with people. We need to see them. We need to talk to them. You can't do everything via the internet. And I think that COVID showed that to us. We, mm -hmm. you know, as humans, we need interaction. So use the internet as a tool, but you can't, you know, you can't ignore face-to-face -face completely. So HR to me is a skill of a board member. You know, if you could have a board with an HR person, I do think that that is a, a very important skill. I would all, I also like to see, depending on the industry, engineering background, you know, you, you don't often see engineers on boards. And yet there is a lot of, I mean, of course, accountants are a given, you know, so that you have somebody for audit. You need um, individuals with a legal background, at least one. So, you know, you have a broad spectrum. When I see a board that has an engineer, an HR, a human resource uh, person, I feel very comfortable that they're thinking outside the box because generally it's finance and law. You know, you'll, you'll see that sort of skill set. Well, and I think, you know, kind of combining this part of the conversation and the, the part, the point that you made about investors I think, um, you know, as as companies are scaling up, they don't always take that deep breath and think about who's who's at the table and, you know, their readiness to bring in somebody that's that's not in their personal inner circle or that's not an investor, but they need them at the the table. They need that other piece of wisdom for that balanced conflict or, or like I say, healthy conflict when you are discussing strategies and and things. Hey, I want to I want to jump topics because we go fast on this podcast and I want to ask you about your personal um core values as you built the firm that you have today and that you want to reflect into the world. I think that my core values comes from my mother. I'm sorry, it probably sounds really passé to say that, <laughs> but it's if everybody did a little bit the world would be a better place. So giving that 1% of your time will make the world a better place. I think that is something that has pushed me forward to see how, see how I can help individuals or companies as you know, within my constraints in order to make them better. So I, th I think that's, that's the first step. The second is I'm a firm believer of corporate empathy. I think that, you know, when when I was at the exchange, one of the colleagues said to me, it's amazing that you're so tough on numbers, but you care about people. So I said, you know, that's a totally separate thing. And to them, they thought if you're tough on numbers, you're going to be tough on people when they have family disasters, medical issues. They They didn't realize that actually, if you look after your team, you will get the numbers. Mm -hmm. But, you, you know, of course, you have to have rules and zero tolerance to nonsense. Um, 
so that goes hand in hand. But I think, you know, Alison, I think that would be my 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 makeup. Um, you know, my late mother's a I talk a little bit about her in the book. You know, she's a doctor trained in, you know, she's from the United Kingdom and um firm believer of you, you know, whatever you do, you do to the best of your ability. So I think that's um definitely within my um uh, makeup. Well, I can see it in all the things that that you've accomplished. So want to go to another question and that is, you know, we we you've identified a lot of things in in your your career and spent a lot of time helping move business forward and and move business and business owners and leaders to a better place and we still have a long way to go. But what trends and what things that you witness and see in business today actually get you excited and make you smile? I think that seeing more and more entrepreneurs coming out, you know, when I I went to the, I went to school in the US, I went to USC, Southern Cal, and I was in the entrepreneur program. And in those days, you know, people, when I used to say I did entrepreneurship and they'd say, what's that? And yet <laughs> entrepreneurship today is something that I, I think is the way forward for all countries. And when I see that, Actually, it doesn't matter what age. When I see entrepreneurs go after their passion and they deliver to their own self-satisfaction, makes me pleased. I like that because, you know, we are then broadening what's out there. In certain industries, of course, you know, we have big giants driven by entrepreneurs and they Mm -hmm. just eat up all these small companies. They find a nice idea, they buy it out. They find it. So it's very difficult, even from the investing side, that, you know, quite often big guys are just buying up all the good little companies. But it's these good little companies that are the excitement. I love meeting good companies. Makes me happy. Sometimes I can't, sometimes I can't invest in them, but I love the idea, the thought process. That's I, why on my on my LinkedIn, I love a good business story. I I just I I do and I love meeting really great business people. It 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 brings joy to my heart. So I I think um I'm very much we're on opposite sides of the world, but yet I think we're very aligned in our our thinking. Um hey, these episodes go quick. Any final words of wisdom, thought, anything else you would like to share with the listeners? I think just basically is Follow your dreams, but try and make sure that everything you do has a sustainability thought behind it. Because if you start thinking about your stakeholders in every step of your business, you will last. Well, thank you very much for that. I always like to say, if if people want to learn more, connect with you, where should they go? What should they do? How should they get a copy of the book? Oh, um, well, I'm now on LinkedIn. You know, I wasn't on LinkedIn before, but I'm now on LinkedIn. Well, I'm glad you so, joined us on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, um, and my book's available on Amazon.com. Um, we are all stakeholders. It's there. I haven't printed it anywhere else yet, um, but I will. I will probably print it in Asia. I haven't got to that bit yet. <laughs> well, you know what? I am always growing and creating. You are always growing and creating. And so I'm sure um, it will be in a lot of other places. Thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing a little bit of your insights and wisdom. We love having thought leaders. To our listeners, if Shireen shared something that you think somebody needs to hear or needs to listen to as part of this podcast, 
please forward along a copy of this episode. And if there are other thought leaders, disruptive CEOs you think I need to speak with, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Again, thank you for being such a wonderful guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to meet you. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.